morning. Good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church. Man, are we blessed or what? Thank you, Lord. Beautiful day, this beautiful place. As we get started here, I just want to mention there's been literally dozens of people, members of this congregation and others who have uh, built this stage um, and provided the finances to the so we can enjoy this beautiful place. And we just want to say thank you. Uh, and just, yeah, thank you to all you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. He came to
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day, for the rain overnight. And uh, just, oh, God, we just want to say thank you right now. And, God, we pray for our nation on this 4th of July weekend. God, we need help. <laughs> you know this, Lord, but you are in control, and you're not wringing your hands. You are seated on your throne, God. You are in control, God. Just help us to each surrender to your love anew this year. Amen. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above.
Church. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. We're so glad you could join us this morning. Obviously, beautiful place. This morning I was driving up. I'm like, I wonder what worship was like in Garden of Eden. You know, being perfect, God being there. Outdoors, obviously, God likes hills and mountains more so than the oceans. <laughs> For those of you surfers, because in heaven there are no oceans. <laughs> Get over it. So, being that we are here, it's just amazing uh, you know, in God's beautiful country and have an awesome time of getting together and not only fellowship but also worship our maker. What a beautiful place this is. It's a great reminder of who God is and what he's capable of regardless of our shortcomings and struggles that we have. Um, I've 
since we're outside, a couple of house rules just to kind of help you guys through this process. No donuts right off the bat. Some of you have come up to me very sad face because there's no sugar for you this morning. You may indulge at home or other places, but we will not have donuts here for the next eight weeks. Um, and I noticed you guys are sitting way far back. You may sit closer. These guys are tamed. I promise that. For most part, they have, they've had their shots, so they're good. So if you want to sit closer, please do so. The only reason the cameras are here is so we could live stream. Uh, also, if you're able to move around rather easily, we would appreciate it if you leave some of the closer parking spots, especially down here, for those who are somewhat, uh, have some challenges about mobility and stuff, so we could uh, fill in this place. We do have some people who uh, are not as easily able to walk, and this grass is not that even, so we want to make sure they're able to park close and come. As you know, you could use the parking lot on top and the one on the other side, and but I just want to let you know that's what most of these spots here. We also have a couple of porta potties down here, and the main building's open. If you need to go to a restroom at any given time, please feel free to do so. Otherwise, we'll be here for the next eight weeks through Labor Day. We're excited about what God's doing, and uh, we're going to get back to worship. But uh, before I do that, I want this has been long coming. This project's been over what year and a half now, Tom? And there's been a slew of people that helped to make this happen. Uh, and we've had architects and welders and concrete people and tree people and all kinds of people, grass people. And so I just want to thank you all publicly for what you've done. Uh, what a blessing it is to be able to minister others through our gifts and talents. So, yeah, let's just give them up. And if you're only out here for a short time, but what a blessing it is to be able to come out here and just worship God in this beautiful place. So let us pray and get back to worshiping God. Father, we thank you for this amazing place. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you, that you hear the prayers of our hearts, and that we're not just singing words,
you are free. You know that this morning. Come on. If the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. Yeah, if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. You are free. If the sun, if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. If the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. You know that if the sun has set you free, you are free indeed. Hey, you are free. neighborhood yeah maybe jesus we thank you that we are free Uh, we are free uh, in america in the political sense god but so much more importantly god we are free jesus for every person who has accepted you into their life who has confessed their sins and asked you to move in and take over you said jesus If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And God, I've experienced that freedom, and you're still in the process of setting me free. So God, as Boomer comes up and speaks, right now, God, would you break through and set us all free just a little bit more? And if there's anybody here who has never surrendered their lives to you, God, we pray that they would do that today and experience the incredible beauty of knowing God personally. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Rimrock. How are you this morning? Now, you guys are going to have to use more volume because I can't hear. I got this thing going on, this water feature back here. I can't hear you. So if I ask a question, it won't be rhetoric. Well, actually, that's not true. I am going to ask some rhetorical questions for your consideration. But it is great to see you guys this morning. What a fun opportunity to be outside And to look at God's word, we're in the series looking at the gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. Today we're going to be looking in uh, chapter 7, Mark chapter 7 this morning. And we're on this journey through the book of Mark. We're looking at what Jesus taught, but uh, Mark focused his gospel a lot on Uh, Jesus' actions. You'll notice over and over in the book of Mark, Jesus went here, Jesus did this. Today, in chapter 7, we're taking a a look at one of the few times where uh, Mark points out something that Jesus taught. And Jesus was just the, um, 
He was just the master teacher at taking advantage of teachable moments. Any of you who have been parents uh, understand the value of a teachable moment. Your kids say something or do something or uh, ask a question. And man, as parents, we have an opportunity to just plant a seed or bring a, a word of instruction or maybe a word of correction as well. But man, we look for those teachable moments and we see Jesus all through his ministry was the master of that. And today in chapter seven, uh, no exception to that. We're at a place in Jesus' ministry where Jesus has been, oh, I should pause just a second. First of all, I want to welcome um, anybody who's here for the very first time. So great to have you here today. Also want to just welcome any of our kids. We've got uh, today's Family Worship Sunday, which means our first graders all the way through high school kids are joining us in worship this morning, and you guys are welcome. And we prepare just for kids, although some of you adults feel free. That's fine. But we got special notes to take for kids. So kids, if you did not get one of those, raise your hand way up high because I got some people that will come give you one. If you missed one of the notes, raise your hand. Don't be shy. No one's looking at you and the cameras are up here. All right, just raise your hand way up high and somebody will bring one to you. That's awesome. That'll help you guys kind of follow along in the sermon uh, in the message today. Okay, I forgot that. Thank you for the reminder. Uh, Stephen and Angela, that was great. Thank you. All right. So we're in Mark chapter 7, and Jesus is at this place in his ministry where he has, um, he has stepped on a few toes. He's, uh, he's, he's caused some discomfort to the religious leaders. And they, they've gotten in this practice now of sending uh, a, a, a group, uh, a delegation to kind of watch Jesus' ministry, to listen to what he says, to catch him doing something that they disapprove of. They're looking for an opportunity and a reason to accuse him and to be able to shut down his ministry. And so we're in the midst of that. And now, so today in Mark chapter 7, it opens and it says... One day some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. It was not the welcoming committee. They came with an agenda. They wanted to to evaluate what Jesus said and what Jesus did so that they could bring an accusation. And the, the Pharisees noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish Ritual of hand washing before eating. Now, Mark gives this parenthetical uh, uh, note to his readers. Mark wrote primarily to a Gentile audience, would not have been necessarily familiar with all of the rituals and all of the uh, intricacies of the Jewish religion. And so Mark puts a little explanation in here. In verse three, he says, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. 
This is but one of many traditions that they have clung to, such as their ceremonially, uh, ceremonial washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Well, what's interesting in the parallel uh, account of this exchange in the book of Matthew, chapter 15 is where you find that. Matthew chapter 15 Matthew doesn't give that explanation because Matthew wrote primarily to a Jewish audience. They would have been familiar with what the Pharisees' beef was here. And so we get a little more detail from Mark. In chapter five, in verse 5, we pick up, So the Pharisees and the teachers of a religious law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Here's what's interesting, right? On this occasion, they take issue with the disciples not observing this tradition of washing before they eat. Now, kids, just let me be really, really clear, okay? This is not them being like your mom, saying you need to wash your hands before you come in and eat dinner. That's not what this is. So you are free to listen and obey your mom and wash your hands before you eat. That's good hygiene. That is not what's going on here. That's not their concern. Their concern is about this uh, tradition of washing as a way of showing other people and proving to God that they uh, follow all of the rules. This uh, This was ceremonial washing. And it it came from this tradition that kind of stemmed out of instruction that came from Exodus chapter 40, uh, where the priests were instructed to wash themselves before entering into the tabernacle as a way of demonstrating or reminding themselves that they they, they kind of walk around in a community that has sin, but before they entered into represent the people before God, they were to wash. And so God had set that up. Uh, you know, wash this, that's a reminder to you. But what it had done, that tradition or that law had then gotten morphed into a tradition that really began to make a distinction between those who were clean and those who were unclean or those who were acceptable to God and those who were far from God. And that mindset created this chasm between God's people and the culture that they were to be a blessing to. It had gotten twisted. And this wasn't the only example of that. In fact, as we look uh, as we look at uh, these traditions were kind of handed down uh, orally, right? And so they were taught generation after generation, uh, word of mouth. And it was really kind of a cool, cool part of the culture, I think, that we've lost. Is people actually listened and they actually memorized and they actually paid attention to what they heard. I think that's kind of a cool part of the, their culture, but they had been handed down orally for generation to generation. And that's the way that they were uh, taught and um, 
and passed down in Jesus' day. But around A.D. 200, they were written down in a document called the Mishnah. And in that, um, and in that document, we're going to talk a little later and bring out some uh, examples of what was written down eventually. But in Jesus' day, these were oral traditions. Jesus seemed to be able to move freely from Jewish culture to Gentile culture, uh, largely because he understood um, the truth that God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? That God's plan always included the whole world, not just his people, not just the Jewish people, but the whole world. And Jesus was able to move freely back and forth between Jewish culture and Gentile culture because he didn't get hung up on these traditions. He was, he was, he was uh, committed to God's word, God's instruction. And so Jesus was able to uh, flow back and forth, but, the, but the, the religious leaders got stuck. They got stuck on their own traditions. Pick up the reading in Mark 7, verse 6. Jesus replied to their comments, to their accusation. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. When he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus spoke really strongly. He called them hypocrites because these leaders were far more concerned with how pious they look than with uh, how pious they appeared with their religious practices than how genuinely they loved God and cared for people. This isn't the only time that Jesus uh, spoke like this. In Matthew chapter 23, he makes another comment where he says to the, these same Pharisees, he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of, the, of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy. You are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. So we see that this isn't a one-off. This isn't Jesus, uh, this isn't just something that comes up. This is a pattern that Jesus is seeing that the Pharisees' concern is how do they look on the outside, but they have missed that there's a heart response that's needed to God. The word hypocrite in ancient Greek referred to an actor or someone who wears a mask. The image that they promote is much more important than who they actually are. Jesus continues in Mark verse 7. He says, Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you, ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. 
And then Jesus said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own traditions. Do you see what he's getting at? Jesus is saying, you've, you've got the law. God has given you his law. But to that law, you have added all of these traditions. And you hold the traditions more f- firmly and more carefully than you do the word of God. These washings were commanded only by tradition, not by scripture. And the Pharisees knew this, but they held those traditions in higher authority than the scriptures themselves. From the Mishnah, uh, Rabbi uh, Eliezer is quoted as saying, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. Also in the Mishnah, it says, it is, gr- it is a greater offense to contradict the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself. It's no wonder why the Pharisees got so angry at Jesus. Jesus did not, Jesus didn't value those traditions. In fact, he disregarded a lot of those traditions, but he followed God's word. So Jesus gives them another example. He says, for instance, Moses gave you this verse 10. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say that it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents and so cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. That's the law of Moses. That's God's word of instruction. Commanded children to honor their parents. And while children are living in their parents' home, also to obey their parents. But even after leaving their parents and not being under that uh, command to obey, even as adults, we are to honor our parents because of who they are. That, that role that they have in our life. And so that includes the caring for them. And yet the Pharisees had created this loophole, right? This technicality. It said if, if a parent came or expressed a, a need or had a need and a child said, you know, I would have helped you with that, but well, unfortunately I've already committed that to God. And it got them off the hook from helping their parents. Even though the thing that was given to God didn't actually have to leave their possession. It was just, you know, set aside. It was earmarked, we might say. And so by that, one example, the Pharisees honored their tradition more than what God had instructed, which is to honor your parents and to care for them. 
Let's pick it up in verse 14. Mark 7, verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and to hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand this. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you, but you are defiled by what comes out from your heart. The context is really important here. Jesus isn't saying that nothing that comes into us can defile us. The context is specifically about eating and washing in a ceremonial way. We know that there are plenty of things that can come in and not, not necessarily, not talking about food, but there are things that can come into our lives from the outside that can distract things that can lead us into disobedience, into sin, things that can defile us. But Jesus is talking, he's making a radical, a, a revolutionary statement to his Jewish audience, saying that there's nothing that you can eat that will make you unclean. Jesus is he's looking ahead to when, yeah, under the new covenant, that he would declare all foods to be kosher, to be good to eat. Jesus is looking ahead, but for his audience in that moment, this was revolutionary. And his disciples, didn't, they weren't sure that they caught it. So you see what happens next. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples come and they ask him what he meant by the parable that he had just used. Like the disciples are standing there going, mm, huh, hmm. I'm not sure that I understand exactly what you're getting at because I think you just said nothing that we eat can make us unclean. Hmm. That was from the time they were children. That was one of those rules. And Jesus just pushes that to the side. And he says, look, I want you to get the bigger picture. God is not, conce not concerned with the food that you eat. God is concerned with what comes out of your life, what comes out of your heart. This is the distinction that Jesus is making. And this wasn't the first time that Jesus has made uh, comments like this, right? I mean, if you think back to the... The Sermon on the Mount, that the Sermon on the Mount was revolutionary as well, because Jesus was saying, you have heard it said, don't murder. But I say, if you hate somebody in your heart, then you've already committed murder. And Jesus went on. He gave example after example after example. And he took the law from the outside and he drove it into the heart. He expressed over and over and over again, God is concerned with what is in here that manifests itself in your life. Not by the religious actions that we take. Verse 18. Jesus says, don't you understand either? Can't you see that the food that you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but it passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. 
And by saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then Jesus added, it is what comes from inside you that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and wickedness and deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. One commentator writes, We are defiled from the inside out rather than from the outside in. God is far more concerned with what comes out of us than what goes into us. And that's especially true when it comes to foods and traditions and rituals. I found, uh, I've been reading this book called All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. And now, I should do this more. I, these, these, um, I don't want to say old people, but I guess they're old. But, I mean, these, um, these men and women that we kind of look to in our faith. People who write and had a, a walk with Jesus that was incredible. It's been a real blessing to read um, this book by Spurgeon. And I'd like to share with you a quote out of that. It's lengthy. But I think it pertains really well right here. He says, I'm picking up in the middle of a longer thought of his. But he says, perhaps you're a person of another sort. Having regularly attended to all the outward forms of religion and yet having no heart in, uh, but having no heart in them, you have been really ungodly. Though meeting with the people of God, you have never met with God yourself. You have been in the choir and yet have not praised the Lord with your heart. You have lived without any love in to God in your heart or any regard to his commands in your life, well, you are just the sort of person that the gospel is set because God justifies the ungodly. If any of you are giving yourselves uh, such proud airs, thinking that you are righteous on your own, you will be lost as sure as you are alive. You're righteous, you righteous men whose righteousness is all of your own working, are either deceivers or deceived. For the scripture cannot lie, and it says plainly, there is nothing, there is none righteous, no, not one. In any case, there is no gospel to preach to the self-righteous. Jesus did not call the self-righteous. I bid you to look at your righteousness and see it for the illusion that it is. I think the trap that some of us fall into is thinking that the practices of the Christian life are the things that will save us. 
the practices of attending a worship or worshiping in song or reading our Bible or spending time praying or being generous with money or, or volunteering to serve someplace. Sometimes we, we get confused or deceived and we think that those are the things that make us right before God. And that's not the case. The only thing that makes us right before God is that we have placed ourselves in Christ. And that he stands before us as our representative before a holy God. That we allow Jesus to take away the things that have separated us from God. All of the other things, and none of the things on that list are bad things, right? No, they're, they're good things. But they only have value when they come out of a relationship with Jesus. When they're a response to what Christ has already done in our life then coming to church becomes being a part of the community. Being a part of the body of Christ and doing life together in community. And our generosity is a reflection of what we understand God's generosity towards us in his grace and his blessing in our life. And we overflow that to other people. And our worship just wells up inside of us and we say we cannot be quiet we have got to reflect back to you what you are doing in my life and so I'll worship you with my voice as well we read God's word because we want to know this God who has done taken the first steps to reach to us and to rescue us and so we say I want to know this God more I want to learn how can I live my life in response to him. That's when these practices have value. But they'll never be the means to us gaining a right standing with God. And yet that's what the Pharisees were confused about. They felt like these Practices, these traditions, these rules that we follow, those make us better, more acceptable to God. Or maybe they didn't really care about that part of it and they just wanted to look good. So the question, I always try to start my message prep with the question, so what? After I've spent time reading the, the scripture and the section that I've been assigned to, I always try to ask myself that, so what? I start with that question. Is I, if I can figure out the so what, then maybe I can help get us there in a way that we can understand. The so what. So how do we discover a relationship with Jesus and how do we guard our hearts 
against this legalism of self-righteousness or self-saving. And I think there's more than one part to the answer, but the, the suggestions that I want to make to you today, I feel are very measurable, and it's a great starting place. So I want to encourage you today, do these three things, beginning even today. The first one is to read God's word every day. God's word written down in the scripture is what the guys at the Bible Project like to call meditation literature. Scripture is meditation literature. It's designed for us to read over and over and over and over again through a whole lifetime. And as we continue to read God's word, we begin to see the connections. We begin to see how this uh, part of scripture explains better this part of scripture. We begin to see these connections in scripture that help us to understand it. And we really begin then to understand the God who authored it as well. So reading the scripture systematically can help us to not only understand and know who God is and how he has instructed us to live, but really uh, helps us to understand his character and helps us to understand uh, who he is. The second thing, not just reading it every day, but reading God's word carefully. Reading God's word carefully. So not just a, a, a kind of a quick, uh, cursory, surface level reading of it, which is important, but also then to develop these skills to begin to understand the scripture deeper, to understand it better, to, to do a deep dive into the background of the author and the situation and the people who were receiving God's word to understand the context that it was written in, to understand its meaning, and then to be able to accurately apply it to our life today. Lots and lots of good. We're living in a time where tools to be able to understand God's word are easily accessible. easily accessible. A good study Bible, a commentary, um, lots of online opportunities as well. Maybe even joining like a, a precept Bible study that will teach you how to ask good questions of God's word as you're reading it. Just asking good questions as you read helps you to understand and explore scripture deeper. So read God's word daily, read God's word carefully, and then the last is to read God's word in community. This is a new, um, this is kind of a new idea, or at least the importance of it has been uh, kind of raised up on my radar. But I love this idea that as we read God's word together with other believers, we get the benefit of of hearing what God's teaching someone else and they share what God's teaching them and then we get to add to that and other people are adding what God is teaching them and together we're learning, together we're, we're tying scripture together. Oh, I remember this piece and I think this applies over here. And as we begin to read God's word in community, not only is the whole experience of God's word richer, but it also helps to protect 
us against reading God's word and interpreting it in a way that makes it uh, palatable to us. It's a little checks and balance. I remember uh, when we went through the Judges series here, that was a, that's a hard book. And those are, those were some, uh, that was a hard series to go through. And I got together with a couple other guys. We'd get together on uh, Tuesdays or Thursdays in the week, and we would read it together, and we would discuss it. And the things that were challenging about that, and, and where else were we seeing in God's word um, the way that he works out his plan, even through flawed people. And we were having these discussions, and it was just, it was so good. It was so rich. It was so fun to get together and read God's word in community. Every two weeks, the preaching team gets together and we talk about kind of the next two um, messages that are going to be preached. And we discuss it together. We talk about it. We, what is God teaching you? And oh, that, that brings this thing to mind. And we add to it. And so really the messages that you hear here are kind of this, um, it, it, they've been influenced by the whole team. It's just a beautiful, it's one of my favorite things that I get to do uh, as a pastor is to be able to be in that group with Bill and Ben and Nick and these guys. And we, and we just, we read scripture together. So I want to encourage you guys, not only just to begin this practice of reading God's word every day, but also to to begin to develop some skills to be able to understand it deeper, to dive deep into it, to understand it better, and then read it in a community. The experience is so rich. As I was talking with Pastor Ben, we didn't get to have our preaching team meeting um, this week, so I was talking to Pastor Ben about this uh, section of Scripture, and this is what he said. I, I'm, I'm blessed by that man. This is what he said. Pastor Ben said, If we read God's word every day with a hardened heart, we will be just like the Pharisees who produced ongoing sin in their lives. But if we listen to God's word with a heart of faith, God can change our hearts so that we are transformed from the inside out. So the question that I have for you, the thing that I would like for you to consider this week is would you you be willing to invest time in God's word, letting it penetrate your heart, to soften your heart, to inform your heart, to correct your heart, and to draw you into a deeper relationship with the Father? The goal is that we're in relationship. with the one who came to rescue us. Will you take that with you today? Would you consider that? Would you act on it? Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you for this week and thank you for the, the way that you've been whispering to my own heart, the way that you've been um, pointing out to me the places where Uh, my worship and my externals are not genuine. God, my prayer today is that that no one would leave God without without you inviting them into 
true relationship with you. God, for some, that relationship is going to be brand new. And God, for some, we've kind of been going through the motions, maybe in some areas of our life, maybe in all areas of our life, and we look really good. But God, you know that our hearts are far from you. God, we don't want to live that way. We don't want to live as actors. So God, would you draw us in and would you would you give us the humility just to respond to you in a really genuine way and to really give our lives to you and then to rest in that, that all of our religious practices, God, would just be an overflow and a response to what you've done in our lives. We love you. That's our prayer. Amen. I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made When it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus Sing with us. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all Not what you deserve. 
search our Lord. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all voices let's sing this to him as a prayer i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry God bless you guys and have a great 4th of July weekend. We'll be back here next week. So bring your friends. God bless you too.